So Romans chapter 12, beginning to read the first one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And just as each one of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Amen. We thank God for the reading from Romans, and we're going to move over now into 1 Corinthians. So just a few pages over, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you'll see that Paul's still picking up on the, some of the same things. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, you'll see the similarity between these two passages. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and again we'll begin to read at verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom to another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between Spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All 
these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and, and open them to First uh, Corinthians and to Romans. You might want to be flicking between those two uh, verses or two, two chapters because that's where we are going to be for a, a moment or two uh, this evening, First Corinthians 12 and Romans uh, 12 as we think about spiritual gifts. I'm sure one of the things that we realize about ourselves as human beings is that we have a sort of an inbuilt, a hardwired desire for uh, permanence and significance. It's something that sort of outlasts us. We want to make our mark. We want to be remembered, to be involved in something lasting. You might know that the, um, the South of Ireland conducted a national census in April of this year, and the census form had a, a new section, a little box called a time capsule, and it was simply a box at the end of the form in which as you filled in the form, you could write something about yourself or about your family that would be sealed up with the census for a hundred years and then would be made public. And actually, what you could also do was tick to have the anonymized uh, contents of, of that box uh, revealed just now. And I, I heard some of them recently uh, on a podcast, and, and there was one entrance that, that that particularly uh, caught my imagination. Somebody had said something like this, I'm the last of my family, and when I die, I will be forgotten. But I'm pleased that in a hundred years, someone will read my name. Isn't that quite powerful? Well, I have good news this evening, and that is that if we are Christians tonight, we are involved in something that is permanent, something that will last forever. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ will last forever. When all around us has been dissolved in the new heavens and the new earth, God's people, the church, will be there with God. The church will last forever. And so, investing yourself in a Scripture Union camp, in the church of Jesus Christ, in its various avenues— in its work is not a little thing. It is a crucial thing, and it gives our limited lives significance and permanence, that which we are wired for. And what we want to see tonight is that if we're Christians, God has specially equipped us to do that, to bless and to build up His church. We have a role to play. We fit. We fit in because God has equipped us by giving us, through His Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. Now, you'll know that this is a subject, one of those subjects over which there's a fair bit of debate and dispute about what the Bible says, and I'm sure there'll be some things tonight that we will maybe disagree over. There are a few areas that, that I'm not super sure about, and, and uh, I'm sure that there will be some questions, in fact, maybe more questions at the end than there are at the beginning. Uh, but hopefully, as we, we look at this together, at least we'll sort of map out where some of our thinking and where we think the Bible uh, is directing us. We're going to step through this in the most logical way that I can think of, and that's to ask five questions. What are spiritual gifts? Who gets them? What are they for? How are they, are, are they all available? And how can I discover them? What are they? Who gets them? What are they for? Are they all available? 
how can I discover them? So what are spiritual gifts? A spiritual gift is an ability that God gives to Christians by His Spirit, and there are a number of them. Paul speaks about spiritual gifts in a number of places. We've read two of those passages. He does so at most length in 1 Corinthians. There's about three or four chapters there where that's the the main theme. And we're aiming to return to 1 Corinthians in the autumn. We were preaching about in in it uh, before lockdown. Um, And we're going to look at that in much more detail there. But his introduction, which we read to this subject, is really important in 1 Corinthians 12. You see that there are a variety of gifts, all given by the same Spirit. You see 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, there are different gifts, but different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So, when a person becomes a Christian, God Himself, it's incredible this, God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit moves into their lives. He indwells you. It's incredible. I I remember this used to be driven home to me in in a particular way when my old minister in Scotland, Mr. Still, used to pray. His prayers were just remarkable. And and he would pray in in the evening service, for example, and he would say something like this, Lord, you are here with us this evening because we have brought you here because your Spirit lives in us. Isn't that incredible? You think about that. So, as we have come together tonight, God is everywhere. And God is specially here because we are met as His people in the name of Jesus. But also, we have brought Him with us because by His Spirit, He indwells us. He's been with you everywhere you've been today. Now, now the Spirit does all sorts of things in our lives. He gradually makes us more and more like Jesus as He grows spiritual fruit within us, the character of Christ. But He also equips us to serve, and He does that by bestowing gifts on His people. Now, there are a number of passages, one, two, three, four, five passages here that where uh, we talk about gifts. Let's see if we can bring that next slide up. Here we are. Now, you'll not be able to, to read the table. I'll refer to the table in a moment. But uh, five passages, let me mention them, and I'll tell you which gifts are listed. Some of the translations sort of depend on what they are, are named as. But in Ephesians 4, verse 11, we hear about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Then later, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 30, apostles, prophets, teachers, healing, miracles, helping, administrating uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues. Romans chapter 12, which we've read, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing or giving, giving aid and mercy. 1 Peter 4 and 11, service, and speaking. And in that table on the left-hand side, you can see that there is overlap between those lists. There are gaps between those lists. And what the Bible 
uh, experts tend to say is that these lifts are, are therefore not exhaustive. In other words, they are they are, there are many more gifts than there are listed. It's as if um, Paul has sort of said, or the writers have said, look, there are loads of gifts that the Spirit gives. Here are a few examples, but there are more. And you can see that, that, that some, and here's one of these areas where I, I really are a little bit lost, but there are some that are related to what we might call natural abilities. So things like administration and mercy, and others that are more what we might call miraculous or supernatural, like miracles or, or, or prophecy. But it's important to underline that they're all gifts of God, and they're all spiritual in that sense. Now, now one of the things that, as we think about what is the relationship between gifts and natural abilities, it, one of the things we need to realize is that, that God is at work in our lives before we become Christians. That's without question. So let's say that someone is brought up in a certain way, and 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 by their experiences and and temperament, they are particularly able in in areas of administration. They are logical and and diligent and so on. And then, when they are maybe thirty years old, for example, this person becomes a Christian. But but God was sovereign over all of those circumstances and influences on that person's life up until that point where they became a Christian, and now that the Spirit indwells that person and and, and takes what was that sort of natural and shaped ability and, and, and fills it and presses it into service in the cause of Christ. You see, so there's, there's, a, there's a distinction between gifts and natural abilities, but there's also a, a, an overlap, I think. So, a spiritual ability, a spiritual gift, is an ability that God gives to Christians by His Spirit. That's the first thing. For, secondly, who gets them? Well, this is very, very straightforward. Everybody, every believer, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. This is particularly clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You see verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And then again, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, the Lord has equipped you with one or more gifts by His Spirit. Now, that quickly leads us to the next question, that is, why? Why has He done that? What are they for? And again, we see verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the common good. So, Paul's thinking about the church here, and he's thinking about the blessing of the church through the exercise of these gifts. So, this means that, that every Christian, in that sense, has a ministry. Ministry just means service. Every Christian has a way to serve, a way in which they have been designed and equipped to serve. God has designed His children to do that for the common good. That doesn't mean just that our service is of the church. We think of evangelism, for example. It's got an outward focus. 
Uh, sometimes service has got an outward focus and so on, but at least it's done in Jesus' name. Now, this was one of the places where the Corinthians and the Corinthian church had got their ideas of the gifts all wrong. One of the problems about using Corinthians, of course, as a as a, a source text for all of this, is that we've got to filter through where the Corinthians were going wrong because Paul wrote so much about the gifts because they were misusing them. And one of the things that they got particularly wound up with was the more dramatic gifts. And they got wound up with them because they were using them as a platform for themselves. Very up-to-date, isn't it? Very modern because the Corinthians, it looks like we're, we're sort of approaching the whole subject and thinking, how can this help me? The world revolves around me. How can this help me? How can I be fulfilled? And actually, the issue is very much the reverse of that. How can I bless others? How can I bless the church and the world in Jesus' name? So, it is the case, you see, that God has, has so designed us marvelously that we're often fulfilled whenever we're doing things for others. But our focus must not be on, how does this make me feel? You know, we, we, our focus must be on, how can I meet the need? So, we don't chase fulfillment. We might get it, but we go after service, if you like. What's the need? How, how can I meet it? You might think of it like this. If the Spirit has given you a gift, He has given it to you, but ultimately it's not ultimately for you. You can see this reflected very much in, in Romans chapter 12. We read that earlier as well. The gifts are given to serve and to be used properly. There's a sense in which they've got to come with a certain humility that prefers the needs of others. That's what serving involves. Uh, Tim Keller, we'll say a bit more about that in a moment, but Tim Keller writes a, a little paper that's really helpful. Here's a quote from it. Serving is putting the needs of others ahead of your own, or putting the needs of the community ahead of our individual needs. So, so there's this whole sort of context of humility and service that's with that in mind, listen again to Romans 12 from verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See, that's the, the context of how we use the gifts. So, the gifts are talked about here in this context of lives being intertwined, of, of us being part of the body, as we were thinking about a few uh, nights ago, and our lives being each other focused. So, this sits very much alongside all those one anothering texts of the New Testament, where we're to love one another and serve one another and encourage one another and so on. Now, a little application here. Uh, this demands that you throw yourself in with your brothers and sisters in a church family. You, you won't get this if you sit on an edge. You won't get this if you hop around from church to church. 
you never get close enough to anyone else to be able to talk to them at any depth, you will not be able to serve them, and they will not be able to serve you. Uh, Lloyd McElwain, I'm not sure if Lloyd's here tonight, but he, he always used to, to talk about um, pulling up a chair. Uh, we used to get Lloyd to talk to the, the new members, and he, he would say, he's, I think he was quoting somebody else, but it, in my head, it's Lloyd's quote now. So, so uh, he, he would have said that, 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 you, that you imagine a, a, a lovely roaring fire, and, and you, you don't sit away at the back of the room. Pull up a chair and come close. And that's what the, the church is, is saying. You, you know, don't, don't sit on the edge of this. Get right into the heart of it. Because that's how we serve one another. Now, so far, don't think there's all that much to argue about. Now we get to where the church tends to disagree. Are all the gifts available? Are all the gifts available? Broadly here, there are two camps. Really, there are two ends of a spectrum. And, and let me pause for a minute and, and mention a, a talk that I listened to this week by uh, John Piper as he talked about this and he struggled over it. And he was teaching the people in Bethlehem Baptist Church and he had a great big pile of books on this side of his pulpit, a great big pile of books on this side of his pulpit. And he said, now here are the books that I've read by godly leaders and Bible teachers who are on this side of the argument. And here are the books that I've read by godly leaders and Bible teachers that are on this side of the argument. And we do well to remember that. These things are, are held by people in all sincerity who are, who are godly folk. And that shouldn't stop us wrestling with the issues and coming to an opinion but we, we want to hold it graciously. These views, as we say, are pretty much on a sort of a, a, a spectrum. Uh, and uh, here's the spectrum. It's on the slide. Uh, two, two words that are maybe not all that often used. One is uh, continuist. So saying that, that by and large the gifts continue. And cessationists to say that some of the gifts cease. Okay. Now, uh, the this continuous view is, is usually expressed and represented within the charismatic side of the church, Pentecostal side of the church. And, and, and they will tend to say, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting their, their, their views here, but they will tend to say that, that all or, or most of the gifts that we see in the New Testament are operative today and should be sought. Sometimes they will say that there is a second stage to be reached in the Christian life so that you become a Christian, and, and, and that gets you saved and it gets you to a certain point. But, but, but then there's another, another sort of level to reach, in, and, and that's sometimes called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit would come upon someone in a particular way. And there might be evidences of that, that a person could speak in tongues, for example, or, or do some of the more miraculous gifts. And so that tends to show itself in some of the practices that, that we might have come across as we've been in other places. People speaking in tongues and gatherings or, or saying they do so in private prayer. Uh, people who will bring a, a word of 
of knowledge or prophecy into a situation to say, you know, God has shown me this in a dream or a, a vision or a prayer, and maybe it shows itself too in a strong uh, emphasis or expectation for healing uh, in relation to prayer also. One of the things that we need to say at some point, I'm not sure where best to say it, but maybe here, is that some of the distinctions are, are distinctions in language and emphasis. So, for example, it, it, it may be that, that, that at times you, you feel a, a particular burden for someone. Someone jumps into your head and, and, and you think, I really need to go and see that person. And, and, and maybe you, you go to that person's door and you find them maybe in floods of tears and, and they, they, they say, uh, it's just so good to see you. I just believe you've been sent here. Now, if, if you grew up within a certain church tradition, you may well say something like, look, I've come here because I've, I've really felt a, a word here or a, or a drawing or a compulsion. God has spoken to me and told me to come to you. Now, if you come up through another church tradition, you might have very much the same sort of experience, but you might say, well, you know, it's just I couldn't get you out of my head. And, and, and as I'm here, I realize that it's a God thing and I'm just so grateful that I've, I've arrived at the right time. There are differences in emphasis, and we must not underestimate the, the role of our church cultures in shaping our expectations in some of these things. Now, there are other things that we could say about, about uh, continuism, but, but uh, th- that's perhaps at least expressive of one end of the spectrum. Our church tradition has pretty much been towards the other end of the spectrum. And, and there are variations, of course, but, but towards this sort of cessationist position. And it's saying that some of, not all, but some of the gifts have ceased. Now, let's try and explore this a little bit because it is our uh, sort of tradition. What are the claims? Well, there are a number of things that we need to understand that we believe as we look at the Bible and at the Bible's story. One is the idea of an apostolic age. That's a really important idea as we read the Bible. So, you remember we looked at the book of Acts recently in church, and we said that there were some things in the book of Acts that were descriptive, that were describing what happened then, And there were some things that were descriptive and prescriptive, describing what happened then in order that we might also do them now. And and that not everything was prescriptive. Some things were unique to that time. So, for example, Pentecost, a particular time when the Spirit was poured out and then repeated amongst the Samaritans and the, the Gentiles as well. And we, 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 we see that as we read the Scriptures, there's something very special and unique happening in the time of the apostles. That was when the New Testament church was being founded, and crucially, it was when the New Testament itself was being written. And so the Bible itself talks about being the church as being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's really important. Ephesians 2 and 20 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And that becomes a a pretty major sort of interpretive uh, grid that we come to the Scriptures with, and I think rightly. So, therefore, if that's the case, we should expect some things to be different now than they were then. For example, something that uh, nobody really argues with 
And that is that there are not apostles today, certainly in the strict sense that the Scriptures use for them. One of the qualifications, according to the Scriptures, was that you were a witness to the risen Jesus. And of course, those who are witnesses to the risen Jesus have have long gone, 2,000 years ago. So, the idea of an apostolic age with a particular set of circumstances happening in that early stage of the church. Secondly, miracles. Now, there's a sense in which miracles happen all the time. If you're a Christian, you are the recipient of a miracle. God has come into your life and turned on the lights and brought you to life. It's a miracle. But often, whenever we think about miracles, we're thinking about those times when God intervenes and and, and works outside the normal order of things so that in the Scriptures, for example, the dead are raised or the loaves and fishes are multiplied and so on. And, and while, we, while we might have a, a sort of a hunch that the, book, the Bible is a book of miracles, if we actually think about it, as we look at the Bible and its history, most of God's people did not experience them in the sense that we're talking about here. They tend to be clustered at particular points in biblical history. So, for example, obviously around creation, but then around the exodus and the plagues and the Red Sea and so on. The ministry of Elijah and Elisha and then Daniel in the lion's den. And then, of course, around the arrival of Jesus and the birth of the New Testament church. And that's a massive, massive swathe of history, and yet just particular points at which God works outside that sort of normal order of things. And there's a hint, at least, I think an implication, that towards the end of the New Testament, miracles are not that much of the church's normal experience. So, for example, Timothy and Titus, those letters that are really sort of handbooks as to how to run the church, are are not about how to manage miracles in the life of the church. Alongside this, it looks as if some of the more miraculous gifts, sometimes called the sign gifts, S-I-G-N, the sign gifts, had a particular role in establishing the authority of those apostles that we were talking about earlier. They sometimes were called the signs of the apostles, or they were involved in revealing God's Word to His people. So, for example, in a… oh, I'm not quite sure what this reference is. Let me see. I've printed this out before I put the reference in. You've got to trust me on this one. It's verse 12, whatever book it's from. Uh, (laughs) uh, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, if I remember rightly. Uh, Somebody can check that. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Now, so, so clearly, if, if those signs and sort of miraculous things are establishing the authority of an apostle, they are not common. Not everybody is doing them. And then what happens, you see, is the New Testament is formed, the apostles die out. These things then start to sort of fade away. In Scripture, we're hinting at, in terms of 
Timothy and Titus, but then also it looks like within the history of the church. Uh, whenever we think about prophecy, you know, prophecy in the New Testament sense, God needed to speak his new word to his people as the New Testament churches formed. Did that in the Old Testament by the office of the prophet who was able to say, thus says the Lord, to bring God's word authoritatively. And in the New Testament, there was that same gift, it seems. And then as that dies away, it does so because the New Testament scriptures are formed, an authoritative word from God. And so some of our uh, Christian forefathers would have written books about how to prophesy, and what they'd have been talking about was actually preaching, because there was the preacher opening up God's Word and dealing with an authoritative Word. A theologian called Mike Horton uses this great picture. Uh, it's a picture of a, a booster rocket. Uh, I was really drawn to it because I think I had a poster like that in my bedroom when I was five years old. And uh, Mike Horton says that, that you know, you're launching a, a, a rocket into space and it's accompanied by booster rockets that sort of get it going. But then there's that point where separation occurs and the booster rockets fall away, but the main rocket carries on. So these miraculous gifts, we would tend to say, seem to have fallen away and that therefore should be our, our sort of expectation. So today, we don't see people speaking from God the way that Old Testament and New Testament prophets did with that same authority of Scripture, thus saith Lord. We shouldn't ever hear that because Scripture is complete. And while we should pray for healing and there is provision for people to come to the elders and pray for healing in James chapter 5, we don't see people with a, a particular gift of healing today in the same way that we did with Jesus and the apostles where the healing was stunning and complete and instant. Now, there's much more we could say here. And whenever we get to a, the autumn time, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians and we'll, we'll look at tongues because tongues is, is dealt with at much more length in 1 Corinthians. But, but what we're saying is that as it looks as if some of these more miraculous gifts are more like that sort of booster rocket that falls away as the church is established and the New Testament is complete. Now, we need to remember that, that the same supernatural Spirit of God empowers all of these gifts, of course, and God is free to do as He wishes. And uh, we, we are not in any sense saying that He cannot do that, but it does, I think, shape our expectations. Okay, last question. How do I find my gifts? How do I discover my gifts? Well, there are books you can go for or websites you can go to and fill in a questionnaire. I have to su su uh, suggest that uh, God did not really intend the church to wait 2,000 years until the invention of the internet uh, for people to discover their gifts. It seems to be much simpler than that. Tim Keller's written a really helpful little four or five page uh, pamphlet, and one of the things he deals with is, is this, and he suggests asking questions in three sort of areas. First of all, 
What do I enjoy doing? This seems really, really simple, but what do I enjoy doing? Seems a, a straightforward thing to say, doesn't it? But, but the sovereign God who knitted you together in your mother's womb will have shaped you and your interests and the things that you easily find your heart going to. You know, some of you enjoy working with little children. And to serve in the creche is just your idea of a perfect morning. For others of you, you'd rather be covered in gravy and thrown into a pit of Dobermans. It's pretty much the same thing. What, I would, what do I enjoy doing? What am I good at? It's a different question. But a simple question. What can you do well? And here's a question, you see, that you may not be able to answer on our own. One of the things that we've got to learn about ourselves is that we do not know ourselves as well as some other people do. Have you ever watched X Factor? You know, somebody who says, oh, yeah, I just I've had this singing gift all my life, you know. And then you get the microphone and, and we find the truth out. You, you know, so, so others will help us with this. So ask a trusted Christian friend. This is why we need to be involved in a church family. Ask a trusted Christian friend who knows you well. Ask them, what do you think I'm good at? Where do you think I, I should pour myself into as far as the church is concerned? Let me warn you, if you go to our treasurer and ask him, he'll say, hmm, I think you have the gift of giving. Let me tell you a story about that, actually. Uh, I met a young chap years ago who was a financial advisor in a bank, wasn't a Christian. And we were chatting, and I asked him what he did, and, and uh, he told me where he worked and so on. And he asked me what I did. I told him what I was doing. And he, he put down his pen. He said, oh, he said, I met somebody from your church last week. And she was remarkable. I've never really spoken to anybody like her. She's a bit older, and she sat down with me and said, look, I'm getting towards the later part of my life, and I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want enough money to live, and then I want to give, and I want you as the financial advisor to help me with that. And he was blown away by that. There's someone who had the gift of giving, and I knew this lady, and I knew that she just excelled in giving to the Lord's work. What are you good at? And then finally, what needs to be done? Because we don't know ourselves that well. That's why we need to have the wisdom of others. But it's also why we need to do stuff, to try stuff. You might do it, and it might be a bit of a disaster. But, but through that, you'll, you'll find, where do I fit? This is how God is shape me and equip me to serve and to bless others, to bring praise to His name. And of course, even though we don't always have the gift of doing something, it doesn't mean we need to do it in all of our weakness. Think of Billy Patterson, for example. Perhaps, to me, the most gifted evangelist I've ever known. Tremendous ability to, to, to bring someone to the point of decision and to help them to help them see their need of Christ, absolutely tremendous. And the Lord anointed him in a remarkable way. 
But just because we don't have that gift of evangelism doesn't mean we don't need to be witnesses. Don't need to pray for our friends. Don't need to try and open up conversations when we can. So what needs to be done to bring praise to God and to bless his church? We're done. But let me finish off by saying this. Let's come back to where we were at the start. The Lord Jesus Christ is doing one great thing within this world. He's building his church. He, he loves it. He loves you. He, he bled for it. He bled for you. And if you love him, you need to love his church too. And one of the ways that Jesus loves his church is by gifting you to serve it, to serve each other. So spiritual gifts, lots of questions still remain. Let's not get hung up on it in such a way that we don't get stuck in.